Well, this morning's a special day. Second graders that received their Bibles today, a little bit earlier, would you please come forward? Go ahead and come forward quickly, and I want you to sit right over here on these steps. I want you to bring your Bible forward with you, and then come and sit right, or sit right over here on these steps, on the first, second, third, or fourth step, wherever you would like. Keep coming. Come on down. We are so excited for today and what today means. Good morning. You're kind of quiet. Is that because you had to get up earlier today to come to church earlier than normal? But wasn't the breakfast delicious? Yes. Now I want to say good morning again. And do you see those people way up there in the nosebleed section? They... I want to hear you say good morning. So, good morning. Good morning. All right. What did you receive today? A Bible. A Bible. Can you hold those Bibles up? Okay, look at that. Now, what is, you can put them down now. Uh, what is the Bible? All right. I'm a mic. I'm going to let you answer. God's holy world. word. God's holy word. Is that true? Is he right? Okay, what's your favorite story in the whole Bible? Who has an answer? Okay, what is your name? Reed. Hi, Reed. What's your favorite Bible story? Psalms. Psalms. You like the Psalms. Me too. We're going to be looking at one of those in just a minute. Somebody else. Yes, what's your name? When Jesus dies for us. I'm going to show you something about that in just a minute. How about you? What's your name? Charlie, and I like um, David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Okay, maybe one or two more. What's your favorite story? Genesis. Genesis. And what's your name? Oliver. Oliver. Okay, maybe two more. What's your name? Annalise. Hi, Annalise. Does your dad work here? Yes. He does, doesn't he? Where is he? Do you see him? Oh, look, look, way in the back. Can you guys say, hi, Pastor Goebel? Hi, Pastor Goebel. Yeah. What's your favorite Bible story? Um, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph. Okay, one more. What's your favorite Bible story? Um, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And what's your name? Rosie. Okay, Rosie. Now, all those stories that you mentioned are in the Bible every one of them. And they're all true stories because every word in the Bible is true. We believe because God's word says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's why we always stand on God's word as our foundation. But all of God's word is about a story of rescue about God saving and rescuing his people. And in order for that to happen, he had to send someone to earth. And what was that someone's name? Yes. It was Jesus. And you said you like the story of Jesus dying for us. So I want to show you something. What is this? It is a cross. Now, this cross came from Mexico. I was on a mission trip. And I saw it, and I thought it was beautiful, but it wasn't really made to be a cross. It was 
part of a fence. Part of a fence that had broken down, was dilapidated, had fallen apart, and yet I saw in that fence this cross. And so I took it. I had permission. And then I carried it onto the airplane. And I put it up where we put our bags, and I brought it home. I've had it for maybe 25 years. Yeah, I keep it in my office. It sits in the corner right by my door as I walk out so that every time I leave my office, I remember that the story of the Bible is about the cross of Jesus, what he went through that we might live forever if we trusted in him. Now I want to show you something. With only two fingers, I can hold this cross up. Do you think I can? With just two fingers? How many of you think I can? Thank you. How many of you think I can't? Yeah. More think I can't than can. Well, watch. If I put my fingers right here, and I just keep my eyes focused up there on the cross, I can kind of do this all day. I mean, I can just walk around. I can do this all day. But watch what happens. If I keep my eyes up, I can hold it this way. But the moment I bring them down, it falls every time. Watch. Eyes up. Eyes down. I am controlling it. Watch again. Eyes up. Eyes down. Here's my point. You can at home. Listen, listen. Say it. Yes! <laughs> Did you hear her? I want you to say that again because the balcony needs to hear it. Come on up here. Let her through right there. You can step through. All right, tell everybody what you just told me. When you have your eyes up, it's like you're focused on the Lord. But when you have your eyes down, you're focused on nothing. That's right. That's the point of this little illustration. What's your name? Laura. Laura. Do you all think Laura's right? She is right. And God gives us his word that we would fix our eyes up on the cross. And the moment we put them down, we lose focus of what's most important. So would you please stand for the benediction? No, just kidding. <laughs> you understand. You don't have to stand yet. You can be seated. I know you want to go. You said so clearly in just a sentence what is often so hard for us to see and hear. We are so grateful that God has you at our church and that he has put the word of God in your life and that your parents bring you here that you might be in the word and under the word. Take those Bibles and begin to read them with your mom and dad. You're on Genesis 32 right now? Keep reading it. 
We love you. I'm gonna pray for you now. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of these children in our church. Thank you that you alone have the power to save any of us. And thank you from the youngest of ages, they're learning what it means to have their eyes lifted up, to have their eyes fixed upon you, Lord, that they might see the gift of salvation and pray at a young age for salvation. We love them. We pray for their siblings, for their parents and grandparents and friends. And that we have this moment even today to witness the faithfulness that you have brought us to in assisting the parents in the nurture of these children. God, bless them and use them wherever you call them that they might find great delight in making them the name of Jesus. This we pray in the holy name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. We're excited for you. You can return to your seats now. And as they return, I'm going to invite you to stay seated for a minute until they get back to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to continue our study as we walk through this wonderful book. I want to remind you that this little church that received this letter, very small, was in the midst of a profound temptation to drift away, to no longer believe the truth about our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. The preacher writes these words, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we ask that you would help us even now to pay closer attention, that you would awaken hearts and minds open ears and open eyes, that we would see where we are with you, would pay attention to any drifting that's happening in our lives, and would fix our eyes upon your glory, upon our salvation in Christ. God, move now. Move in us. Cause this, your holy word, to soak deep in us, that we might be made different even today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was no fear today for these children to come to church to receive their Bibles. There might have been fear of being in front of a large crowd to come and stand here, but it didn't seem like it. But in many parts of the world, that's not the case. This little church that's receiving this sermon, this letter from a friend who cares deeply about their walk with Jesus knows that they are in danger of drifting away. And they're in danger of drifting away because the cost of being a Christian is very, very real. William Lane says in his commentary, identification for them as a Christian could be a prelude to violence. Open acknowledgement then that you were a Christian could seal your death warrant. That is not a reality. 
that we are living in, nor have any of us lived in in this city or this country like many have. Not long ago, I was in a country, I won't say which country, but I went to a house church in that country with one of our elders, Kit Case. And we were a little bit late to the meeting. It wasn't our fault, but they had already started. And we went into a small apartment and probably 35 to 50 believers were sitting side by side, five or six wide, 10 or so deep, packed into the living room where their teacher spoke very quietly the word of God. When we walked in, the eyes that met us were not eyes of welcome. They were not smiles saying, we're so glad you're here. Underneath was fear. Who are they? And are they going to compromise our location? The government in the past had been known to offer tremendous persecution. And for them to assemble and to say we believe in the name of Jesus came with real cost. Cost that might not happen then, but certainly could happen at any time. In that same country, the stories are being told now of the government going into elementary schools and going into elementary schools, into classrooms, asking children there, are your parents Christian? Are you a Christian? Do you go to church? And upon those children innocently responding to those questions, they're no longer seen, nor are their parents, because they're taken to a re-education place. That's not 50 years ago. That's a report from this summer, and it's real. This little church that we're reading about, where their dear friend and shepherd comes to them, is speaking to them in powerful terms saying, we must pay much closer attention. And what he's doing so beautifully and powerfully is saying, we must pay much closer attention to the revelation of God. For them, many are probably saying, why is God letting this happen? Is God there? Really, is he? Is he there? And to that, the shepherd, the preacher of this sermon is saying, no, he's not there. He's here. He's here. In the past, God spoke through his prophets. This is Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. In the past, he spoke through his prophets. But now he has spoken to us through his son. His son is the full and final revelation. His son is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is superior to the prophets. He's superior to the angels. He is the son of God. He is God. And then he says at the beginning of chapter 2, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. The fear of persecution for us is growing. And no doubt, what these little ones in second grade will experience 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now and then what their children will experience and their grandchildren 
is going to be very, very interesting. The message that was written over 2,000 years ago to this little church will be just as effective then as it was then and it is now. If you and I pay attention, our temptation to drift away is not primarily because of persecution, a fear of what would happen if somebody knew we believed in Jesus. That may change, and it may change radically and rapidly. But there is a different form of drifting that we need to pay attention to. And so I want to ask you a question at the beginning that I want you to continue to think about through this sermon for the next 15 minutes. Does your listening, does the intensity of your listening match the danger that we are in of drifting? Does the intensity of your listening to God's Word match the danger of the drifting that's confronting all of us? John Owen, in his book, Indwelling Sin in the Life of Believer, said, I fear that your intensity doesn't match the danger that's confronting you. We know what it means to be intense. We know what it means to be intense about things that we perceive as dangerous. But I believe we are deeply intense about many things that are really not that dangerous. And that intensity causes us to drift away from the things that really are. And I want to tell you that the ordinary reality for a group of students this old is that by the time they graduate high school, only a few of the ones who were just sitting here will really be walking faithfully, intimately, affectionately, daily with the Lord. That is the normal, ordinary reality of what youth pastors, young life leaders, K-life leaders, and parents experience all over our community. Why? Because the drifting starts early, and it doesn't look like drifting. Remember, Satan's favorite word, I think, is almost. It doesn't look like drifting. But suddenly, a different desire for something that's really not that important begins to become an urgent danger to you. Your child's ability to be a starter, your child's ability to get into a certain college, your child being popular, no matter what the cost. That presents itself for many as an extreme danger. And because it feels so dangerous, 
What would happen if my child doesn't have fill in the blank? Or my grandchild doesn't have fill in the blank? Or my niece or nephew doesn't have fill in the blank? Suddenly occupies great intensity. And over time, we begin to drift away from what is ultimately true, what is eternal, what matters most. And it doesn't look like a drifting when suddenly we say, church isn't that important. We would never say it, but it's seen in attendance. It's seen in the energy with which we bring to things that matter most. Because frankly, there's just not that much energy left. Our child's happiness actually becomes the goal or the idol. We teach the chief end of man is to glorify God, and most of those second graders could say, and enjoy him forever. God is much more interested in their happiness, mom, dad, than you ever will be. But he has a way through his word that says this is what is going to ultimately make them happy. And we become frightened of things that we think are going to make them happy. And this isn't, this isn't just for children. And it certainly isn't just for parents. It's true for all of us. That when we have the wrong definition of what's ultimately the purpose of life, what's ultimately going to matter, we've already begun to drift. And it won't be a drifting, most likely, where you will say, I no longer believe in Jesus. I no longer think he's the way, the truth, and the life. But in terms of the way you're listening to him, in terms of the way you are following his word, you will have drifted. And the drifting will not be drastic. The word drifting means gradual. And then one day, the appetite for God's word, the desire to be in God's word, the confidence and trust in God's word, which was just sung so beautifully, isn't there. Why? Because we drift when we fail to listen. And listening isn't just about hearing God's word. Listening is about hearing God's word. And as the Spirit opens your ears and opens your eyes to see that it's true, you seek by the power of the Spirit to obey the things His word has commanded you and me to do. The word absurd has to do with listening and obedience. Henry Nouwen talks about this word when he speaks about the busyness of our lives and the noise of our lives. And what he says is that when Christians, and again, this letter is written to Christians, not non-Christians. When Christians hear the word of God but fail to apply it to their life, fail to seek to live obediently with what they've heard, they're living absurd lives. So when we watch the ordinary pattern in a community like ours, being what I described earlier, we need to wake up and say, that's absurd. It shouldn't be this way. The word 
absurd, comes from the Latin word which means surduce, meaning death. And from another Latin word, audire, which means listening. Jesus understood this. At the very end of his Sermon on the Mount, his conclusion goes like this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house in the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man, an absurd man, who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. They both heard the word. They both were building a house. They both knew that elements would come against the house, yet one was really listening. And that listening was an obedient listening that took them to a place of saying, I need to build my life on this foundation, which is the rock, so that every time I hear these words, I'm going to ask God to help them soak into me so that I won't drift. And any man, any woman, any believer who hears these words but then says, I'm still going to build on sand, is absurd. And your pastor, just like you, is tempted towards absurdity all the time. Tempted towards drifting all the time. When I, when we fail to listen, really listen. So how do we listen? I want to be very practical in the remaining few minutes. And I want you to know that what I share with you is God's means of grace. It's something that any man, woman, and child can do. But if we can't hear, one, because we might not know him, we talked about that last week, two, because the noise in our life is so great, you won't even hear what I'm saying now. If you don't want to hear, or if you don't think you need to hear, or if you think I've already heard it, you're already adrift. It might not look radically bad, but you're already adrift. The writer of the Hebrews, I believe, is preaching to himself as much as he is those who he's writing to. And he's saying, we must pay much closer attention. So how do we do it? 
Number one, we must put ourselves in and under the word of God continually. All of us. What these children see every day from their parents and grandparents, their pastors, ministry leaders, members of this church matters, that see a people that come regularly putting themselves in and under the Word of God. Remember, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It's the one offensive weapon we've been given. If Satan can knock it out of your hand, you will drift. He wants it out of your hand. We must put ourselves in and under the Word of God regularly. That means listening and preparing your hearts to listen to sermons that are preached. Whether it's from this pulpit or another preacher that you enjoy listening to during the week, we need to be in fellowship with others, whether it's one-on-one or in small groups or in Sunday morning communities. We offer these things for a reason, to help you not drift. We need to know the tendency to drift and put ourselves in and under the Word. We need to be reading the Bible daily. This young man is in Genesis 26. Next week, he will be somewhere further down the road of Genesis, already learning the importance of the Word of God, doing what Joshua was commanded. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. We need to take the word of God, read it, listen to it, and meditate on it. What is meditation? Meditation is the difference between paint and stain. That's what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. Paint merely covers the surface, stain soaks right through. In the Bible Belt where we live, there are a lot of people every Sunday putting on a new coat of paint. But that's not what's needed. It's the Word of God that's soaking deep within. In fact, and this may shock you, many, many Christians are listening to way too many sermons and are reading way too many books. And it's like they're carrying around cans of spray paint. One book, one sermon, shh, slow down. Let the ones that you're listening to soak deep. Ask God to take that word and press it deep into your heart and mind. You'll know it's deep in your heart and mind when you're really unable to stop speaking about the things that you see and hear. Satan doesn't mind Christians who are well-informed or educated. He's deeply afraid of Christians who meditate and soak on the Word and allow it to saturate into their hearts. Bring this, which you're hearing this morning from Hebrews 2, to your small group. Bring it to into your marriage. Bring it into your friendships and accountability groups. 
Bring it into BSF. Bring it into women's Bible studies. Bring it Tuesday morning into men's Bible studies or whenever you meet as a group. Here's why. Individuals drift. Small groups drift. And churches drift. But when an individual or a small group or a church says, we're tired of pain, we're going to live in and under the word of God. The church is anchored. Small groups are anchored. Individuals are anchored. So this morning, does your intensity in listening to the word of God match the danger? I want to explain one thing before I close. Being afraid is not intensity. Living in fear of the big, bad world is not the same as intensity. We are not called to live a frightened existence in the presence of the enemy of the flesh and the world. We're called to live a sober, alert intensity. Whenever one of us as a child were injured, and I don't mean a little scrape on the knee, but a bad injury, and we would come through the door of my home, my mother, every time, would run out the front door and down the street to the neighbor's house. She couldn't handle it. I remember coming in, a big wound on my head, in need of stitches. I was 15, playing tackle football down the block, and I came in, covered in blood, and I knew what would happen. My mom ran out the front door, she ran down to the neighbor's house, and I waited, not for my mom, but for the Alfonso's. <laughs> and then they came, and they took me to get stitches. That is not the kind of intensity I'm talking about. That's hysteria. <laughs> we are called to have a sober intensity, and that sober intensity should be full of trust and hope and joy. And when your children, these children, when your friends, when your coworkers see a world that's really broken and they see you responding to this broken world in a different way, may they see a soul that is intensely sober, alert, but full of trust, full of joy, and full of hope. My fear is that if our intensity in listening doesn't match the danger, what they're going to see is absurd people who just happen to profess faith in Jesus. But that profession is just like a paint 
a coat of paint. This preacher is saying to you this morning and saying to me, wake up. Pay closer attention to what you have heard. We must. Christ is supreme. He is the full and final revelation. He has everything you need always and forever. Lord God Almighty, I'm so sorry for the times when I drift, when I just fail to trust fully in your sovereignty, in your power, in your presence, in your word. I'm just like this body. And Lord, I can't do it in my flesh. None of us can. But your spirit has the power to awaken in us even now a desire and an ability to apply like stain the very things we've heard this morning. Please do that for your glory. Change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.